Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to Every Nation Auckland City. Thank you for dropping by and for being with us. If you are a guest from outside Auckland or the nation, somewhere you're coming somewhere from around the world, welcome. It's really good to have you dropping by. And why don't you make yourself a nice cup of coffee or tea and enjoy our service together. We're going to start off today with the sermon, then we're going to have some worship on the other side. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been on a trip with a group of people. Maybe it's an overseas trip, you're going on an airline trip somewhere, or, or maybe it's a local trip, a bus trip somewhere, or a family group, or even a company function. You're, you're as a group, or a staff, or a team, you're all together, and you're heading off on a nice trip, and within your group are diverse kinds of people. I'm not just talking about culture or ethnicity, I'm talking about personalities and temperaments. You know how there's always that person who's slow or that person who's always distracted. They're, they're, they're diving off to the side to smell the flowers or they see a special in a shop window over here or they see a scenery or a mountain and they just, you're constantly, you know, finding out where they are. It's kind of like that Home Alone movie, right? Like, Where's Kevin? <laughs> and there's other people that are super bossy and they try to run ahead of you. And, and there's people, you know, there's all kinds of personalities that come together and it makes it really difficult to achieve what you wanted to achieve. I recently had an experience just like that. My wife and I and a whole bunch of us were over in Australia in the, the city of Sydney and a group went out, maybe about a dozen people, I think, and we decided to go and do something, to do an outing together, and we headed down to the beautiful spot called Darling Harbour. It's kind of a seaside area. It's got restaurants and cafes and there's historical stuff and sightseeing, all manner of sights and sounds and smells. And here we are, a diverse bunch. We've got people from Australia, New Zealand, Nigeria, America, different parts of America were all dropped in there, men and women and older and younger and different personalities and different strengths. And it was really interesting from the car park, wandering through to uh, stopping here, stopping. And what happened was, I noticed something happened. We're wandering along and we're sort of like, few little groups clicks and things happen and then there's someone hanging at the back and and there was someone who was regularly um, distracted, shall we say, and and just occasionally, every few minutes, maybe five minutes, we'd sort of stop and just gather ourselves and go, okay, is everyone here? Maybe we're turning a right turn or getting onto a ferry or deciding on a restaurant. There's, there were different moments and times where we sort of counted everybody. We checked in with everybody. Is everybody here? And sometimes it was like, where is this person? Oh, they're down in the shop, dived in there to buy a souvenir or something like that. It's a very interesting time to check that we're all together. And in that process, it's quite funny. 
It doesn't take long because as you're journeying along, little tensions pop up, little personalities emerge. And, and as I say, we, we stop and we gather and we check that everybody's together. You understand what I mean? Kind of like the school bus, you know, checking everybody on the bus, checking everybody off the bus. That kind of moment is what's happening in our local church right now, in many local churches around the world, and certainly in my own local church. We're, we're checking in that we're all together, not just our bodies, but our hearts. Are we all together? Because it's never been easier for church people to wander. It's never been easier to get isolated and and it's never been easier frankly to think about the unholy trinity me myself and i it's almost like there's too many options it's been so easy in the last two and a half years and what we're doing is we're stopping and we're checking before we head on into the future head on into the horizon of what god's got for us as a local church and and knowing how easy it is for us humans to drift. Isn't that true? Like you're thinking about God and then two days later you're thinking about other things or, or we, we intend to read our Bible and we get distracted or we say something and, 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 and we get separated, we get isolated, we get offended, we, 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 all kinds of things. And it's knowing our propensity, our tendency to drift and get isolated and be different and, and, and have that kind of, you know, going on in our soul, it's, it's knowing that, that Jesus prayed a stunning and seemingly impossible prayer. Like, really? You're praying that because you want that and you're believing for that, Jesus. Are you sure that's even possible? Well, he thinks it is. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. And as you're turning there, as you're opening up your Bible, I want, to catch, I want you to get the scene. I want you to feel the atmosphere in the room. You see, above the dusty streets of Jerusalem, Jesus is there with his disciples in this room. And this is at the very tail end. This is at the very end, just the night before his death, after 33 years of life and ministry, and endless miracles, and endless teachings. Remember, there's a whole lot more than what's written in the Bible. Not everything that Jesus taught is in the Bible. Not everything Jesus did is in the Bible. Look at John chapter 21. It says if all of that was written in books, the whole earth couldn't contain it. You see, miracles and teachings just after 33 years, and he's coming to the end. And the night before his grueling death, he's with those disciples. And in those closing moments, the somber, reflective mood comes into the room. Jesus prays for himself for the journey ahead. And Jesus prays for these beautiful men in the room that he had built a relationship with. And then he prays for us. What is in Jesus' mind? What does Jesus pray for regarding us? Let's read the text in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, referring to the disciples, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What an amazing prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this moment to learn. And I ask you to open our hearts to appreciate the gravity, the significance of this prayer the night before our Lord and Savior passed and gave his life for us. Bless every person that's watching and listening and may the essence of this sermon strike our hearts afresh and shape and mold our lives forever. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, say amen, amen. Put it in the chat. Amen. Awesome. Here's my title. It's a familiar relationship status title. You ready? It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. The, the reality is that relationships are complicated and they are complex. Now, I'm 56 and I've been married now to Christine and Urban, my wonderful wife, for 30 three years and we help other couples before they get married and after they're married and and you might hear this you know maybe a young couple's gotten married and they've got their first year under their belt and they might say something like uh man whew, we got through the first year we're we're through the worst of it and if i hear anything like that i want to say wait up Hold on a minute, <laughs> because I know after 33 years that marriage requires constant effort and energy and care. Tim Keller, in his book about marriage, says this, every seven years, you have to rediscover who your partner is because they have changed that much. Just when you think you've got someone figured out, they kind of shift and move. Things change and happen. Maybe it's age-related. Maybe it's, I don't know, hormones-related. Maybe it's career-related. Maybe it's just a change of circumstances. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And with relationships, there is no such thing as cruise control. Either they're growing or they're receding. There's no neutral. We're either going forward or we're going back. The reality is that relationships can be very complex, but they can also be incredibly rewarding. And I've thoroughly enjoyed and still thoroughly enjoy many, many great relationships, including mostly cross-cultural relationships. It's really complex. 
There's so many elements and nuances and strands that create relationship. Maybe that's why Jesus prayed for unity. Why is unity in the church a big deal? Because unity strengthens the church and worries the devil. Why why does creating disunity one of the devil's primary tactics? Last week, we talked about truth. We talked about how the devil is a liar and how we need to step up and stand up and speak up the truth of the word of God to negate, to, to, to counter, to be an antidote to the lies of the enemy. That's probably his number one tactic to deceive, to accuse is lies, lies, and lies. And the second one is probably this, where he sows disunity. He tries to create division because the devil knows that, that the church <coughs> excuse me that the church is strongest when it's unified he's worried he's nervous because my goodness me if the church really understood the power of unity and understood the ability of unity to release the blessings of God and to explode with revival in the nation oh my goodness he if he he understands it he wants to shut it down he wants to fracture it he wants to divide that's the enemy's tactics he wants to bring disunity into the church now i i want to go a little bit deeper with this There's a stunning truth in the text that just blows my mind, frankly, and honestly and truly. The kind of unity that Jesus is wanting, the kind of unity that he's praying for, and it's in the God-breathed, inerrant, infallible word of God, in the scripture, the kind of unity he's looking for, in order for us to understand what he wants, he brings us a comparison. He shows us in our text today a benchmark. It, it's just, it's, when you think about it, it's amazing. Let's go there. It's in there twice. If you look at verse 21, it talks about unity. Then he says, just as. And then he talks about the Father and the Son. Whoa. Are you, Jesus, do, do you mean, do you really mean that you want us, like me and Joshua, who's recording this, and others in our local church, do you want us to have the kind of unity that you have with your heavenly Father, like the Father and the Son and the Spirit, like within the Trinity? The answer would be yes, according to this text. And then we see it again in in verse 22. It says, even as, referring once again, he repeats himself. There's so many pronouns in this text today. I and they and he and we. It's incredible. It's like 37 pronouns in just those four verses, I believe. I'd have to go back and double check, but I believe it's right up there close to it. It's amazing. He's comparing and benchmarking our relationships with the relationship between Jesus and his father. Are you kidding me? Wow. With all of our brokenness, all of our issues, all of our complexity, all of our complications, he says, this is a kind of relationship I want you all to have. What an amazing thing. I I want you to imagine the perfect father-child relationship. I don't know what kind of family you came from. Me, I was raised in a broken family. 
single mother family. I didn't really know my father. And I can only imagine what it would be like to have the perfect father and the perfect child in this relationship. Like there's absolute love. There's no selfishness. There's just total unity. I want you to take that perfect picture and multiply it by a million. And you and I might be close. We might just get within the orbit of the devotion and the closeness and the transparency and the interdependence and the joy and the glorious unity of Father God and His precious Son, Jesus Christ. That's the relationship they enjoy. And I want us to have a little, a little peek into that relationship. And to do that, I want to recommend a book that I read earlier this year called Experiencing the Trinity by Daryl Johnson. And I want to read an excerpt. It's a book. I've read many books this year. This book really struck my heart because it invited me into the inner circle, into a relationship, the kind of relationship with God as they enjoy amongst the Trinity. It's amazing. Let me read this excerpt. What does all this mean for us human beings, this wonderful Trinitarian relationship? It is in that threefold subsistence of love that we live and move and have our being. It is out of that love that God the Father created the world and us in it through the agency of the Son and the energy of the Spirit. It is out of that love that God the Father sent the Son into the world to be born of a virgin through the power of of the Spirit. It is out of that love that God the Father handed over the Son through the Spirit to the cross, reconciling the world to Himself. It is out of that love that Father, God the Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son to dwell within those whom the Son purchased for the Father. From our creation to our redemption to our glorification, we participate in God's Trinitarian love. It's, it's, it's incredibly beautiful and deep and so complete, this relationship between the Father and the Son of the Spirit. And Jesus says, I want you to experience that with each other, not just with him, but with each other. It says in the scripture that they, that's us, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. This is truly amazing. I mean, look around you. Look, at, look around you at the other people in the room. Like, look inside you when you see your own selfishness and sin and prejudice and all these things. This is an amazing thing. It's People, listen, it's going to take a miracle. It's a work of God to sincerely bring unity out of diversity. And it begs the question, what is this unity or this oneness? Unity is not sameness. If you get everything in a row that's all the same, like cookie cutter, that's not unity. They're all exactly the same. Unity actually demands diversity. That's where it's really tested. Unity is not uniformity. And God seems to love to place diverse people together to figure out how to get on in this life. 
Do you remember the disciples? Well, of course I do, Pastor. That's right. The 12 guys, which became 11, then came back to... Remember the disciples? Like, Jesus called those disciples to follow him, right? True? Yep, that's right. Jesus called the disciples to follow him, but he also called them to follow him with others. And here's the catch. The disciples didn't get to choose who they would walk with and live with. Like, Jesus didn't call Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, let's go and get a group of other guys. What do you think? Let's talk about this. Which personalities do you like? Oh, you only want to meet people in your own ethnicity? Okay, let's go and find some people that look like you, smell like you, eat like you, work like you, talk like you. That's right. No, he didn't do that. He didn't consult the disciples. He, he by, under the inspiration of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose 12 men to himself and said, boys, we're going to have to learn to get on together. It's not just about following me. It's about getting on together in each other and walking and learning how to be unified to bring our diverse giftings, talents, ethnic backgrounds, propensities and personalities and somehow form you together. And through the, the forming of you, we're going to produce and what will emerge will be something beautiful. It's called the church. So Jesus didn't ask. Jesus called them to follow him, put them together, and said, "Get figure it out. And I believe it is no less true today for you and for me. I believe it's exactly the same. And I say that based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says there, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Read that again. As he chose. That means to me, that God has a local church that he wants you to be in. That tells me that he has a local church that he wants me to be in, that in fact, I don't just go with personal preference. I just don't go with the crowd of people that look like me, sound like me, look, smell like me, eat like me. It means that God might want to put me in a very uncomfortable situation that I don't naturally want to get drawn to because he wants to develop me. He wants to grow me. He wants to expand me. He wants to mold me. Whatever his reason is, he decides where to put us. And as far as I'm concerned, if God calls me into a local church, he's got to call me out. End of issue. That's how I feel about it. I believe that's biblical. I believe that's accurate and sound teaching. We naturally drift to people that we prefer, that we're common with. But God might be saying, no, I want you to cross over the end of the table, cross over the end of the, the side of the street and go with a different bunch of people. Interesting. Where do we get this idea that we choose where we're going to be? We kind of, you know, like we go and check out all these different restaurants and decide what we prefer on any given Sunday. That is not church in the New Testament. And God says, I will, I've got a place for you. So you, do you mean that God, Pastor Richard, do you mean God actually wants me to, like, might actually want me to put me somewhere that is not familiar? Absolutely. I think that's very, very probable. And I, this is what I want you to understand is this is how God works. Is he has this unique design for relationships. He has what you might want to call divine tension. Now, some of us might call that frustration. Like, I can't believe that guy. He always just talks too much. Or I can't believe that person. They say they're going to be there and they don't show up. I can't believe that person. You know, we get frustrated. But actually... I want you to get a fresh perspective. Maybe 
God has put you in a relationship to create what we might call divine tension to produce something greater in you. You know, I, I have the privilege and the pleasure of doing life, as we would say in church world, of you know, having friendships and doing stuff together with a, with a group of guys. I've got some really meaningful relationships in my life, and I'll, I could talk about them all. We're all pretty diverse, definitely multicultural, but more than just that, um, temperament, personality, uh, propensity. Um, and maybe it's been shown more so in the last two and a half years than ever before. And I'm thinking of my brother down there in Every Nation told on a John Birdwell. Dude, he's white, he speaks English, but we're very different. And I love that brother. He's amazing. When I get around him, I just love how he's always... <laughs> There's a, 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 a divine provocation where it's about vision and planting churches and let's advance and mission... And I need that. And it's awesome. But sometimes if you, if you leave me to my own devices, it's too easy to get caught up in the urgent pastoral matters in the local church. And I keep, you know, maybe not forgetting, but I tend to drift towards the urgent issues and matters in my own local church. And, and I need John Birdwell and guys like him to lift my head up, remind me that there's a great cause for this nation of Aotearoa. There's a great cause. And so God's put him in my life where there's a, a unity, there's a one-heartness, but there's also a diversity. And that could become a tension thing, but, and it could be a frustration thing, but it's a God thing. You see, through John Birdwell, God is molding me and stretching me. You see, God has designed it where, where there's something in someone else that causes us to be driven towards the will of God. Do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to get you to think differently about diversity, not just cultural diversity, but different all kinds of personalities, even those that drive you matty, batty. That guy that gets on your nerve, that family member that you just want to avoid all the time. Maybe, just maybe, God's put them there to mature you and me, to grow us and to mold us more into the image of Christ. Let me tell you, Unity strengthens the church and worries the devil. Now, if Christian, Christianity or Christian unity is, is not sameness, if, if Christian unity is not just tolerating them, if Christian unity is not injustice, that is to say, Christian unity doesn't sweep things under the carpet. No, 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 don't get me wrong. Christian unity actually demands courageous conversations. It, to preserve that unity, we need to be transparent. We need to be humble. We need to go there and have conversations about things when they go wrong, things that threaten that relationship. I'm not at all talking about sweeping things under the carpet. And I love this explanation. I, I really enjoyed this, this article here in the, the Gospel Coalition by Sarah Eckhoff Zelstra. And she describes it this way, this thing of Christian unity. What is it? We've talked about what it's not. What is it? She says, Christian unity is a result of God bringing together people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, and social classes into one family by faith in Christ. And she goes on to say, church unity reflects the glorious unity of the Trinity to the effect that it is watched a watching world, to the effect that a watching world is compelled to believe the truth of the gospel. Wow, so they're watching how we do relationship. 
And she goes on finally and says, our unity is powered by the Holy Spirit who unites us through the truth of God's word, a shared vision, brotherly affection and service, and reconciliation with each other. I think that encapsulates what Jesus was hoping for and believing for as he prayed before he went to the cross the next day. I see it kind of like this. The church is like a jigsaw puzzle, a really beautiful scenery, or maybe it's a face, a jigsaw puzzle of different shapes, different colors. I mean, some pieces are just all blue because they come from the sky. Other pieces are all brown because they cover the earth or the green for the ground. Or some pieces are transi transition. You've got the, the, the hill coming down and the grass coming up, or you've got a face beginning to emerge or the tail of a dog, or, you know, it's more complex and complicated. You've got different visual appearances, different shapes, but they, they fit together. They complement one another. And, and you step back and you see this picture emerging, this bigger picture as you put the pieces in and you fit them well together. There's no gaps. There's no missing pieces. It's, it's there and you sit back and I think it would be a face and I think it would be the face of Jesus. And I think there's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of the church. You know, I'm proud to be part of every nation, proud in a, in a good way. I love this group of people. I love it. It's global. It's in 81 countries. I, 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 I love our worldwide conference. I love our regional conferences. And wherever I go, I just so enjoy relationship. And I recently heard one of the founders remind me and he said that at the very, very beginning, when the Every Nation founders came together and began to discuss, uh, uh, are we this or are we that and are we that and are we this? What, what's in our heart? And what came out of that divine, powerful moment was this statement. We are a global family of churches. Why? Why family of churches? Because relationship is at the core of who we are. Not meetings, not corporate banners and logos. It's relationship is what we're all about. And relationship is the power of the church. And as we, as an every nation Auckland city, look into the horizon of what God's got for us, I want to tell you there's great things coming. There's revival on its way. I can hear the pitter-patter of rain and we are gathering our people. We're realigning and refocusing, looking up and looking beyond and making sure that we're good, that we've committed to unity in our relationships and had meaningful conversation and we shut down the devil and we, we get busy with what God's called us as a local church to do. And I want to say this today to every one of you who are part of my local church family, let's commit to fight for family, not with family, for family. Let's commit to love and believe the best, not the worst. Let's commit to be courageous and engage in conversations where we need to bring understanding, not just withdrawing. Let's do it, family. It's time to commit, I believe. And why is this so important? Once again, because unity strengthens the church and worries the devil. Do you know something that's really, really interesting? In August 2019, I preached a series called 
don't go to the church or don't go to church. And after teaching uh, about the devotion or the need to devote ourselves to the scriptures as critical for spiritual health, there were two sermons in August 2019. The first one, the, the key thought was a church united cannot be defeated. And the second thought, the second sermon was how to reconcile offenses in the church. Little did I know that six months later, those very messages would be seriously tested. And here I am again today to talk about unity. So what kind of heart should we have towards one another? And it might please you to realize that we're not the only church that has to work at relationships because Paul had to write to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love the New Living Translation that says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So what is keeping the unity of the Spirit? It's having a humble and forgiving attitude towards each other. It's having a commitment to family and working differences through biblically. And it's saying no to the devil. And when we all commit to that, we will see miracles happen. We will see revival happen in our church and across this land. As I close the sermon, I want to take you back to my group experience in Darling Harbour. We had our stops, we had our starts, there may have even been a little bit of teaching here and there, nothing said, but just internally, like why is that person always slowing down and so forth. With our little diverse group, we made it to our destination, the Opera House in Sydney. Can I tell you something, Every Nation Auckland City? God is preparing us for a destination. Can I tell you today that God has got great plans for us, but we've got to be unified. We've got to bind together. We've got to commit our hearts together and be focused on Him and each other and the mission. And as we move together, we're going to see God stuff happen. God adventures, God miracles, growth and expansion and mission. It's exciting. I'm telling you, if we commit to unity, we can block down and shut down the devil's agenda, attract God's blessing, and unleash the power and the potential of our precious local church. Yes, relationships are complicated, but the outcomes are priceless. They're completely worth it. And it's only possible because we are one through Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you today? Lord, I thank you for every person watching online. And I pray wherever they are and in whatever local church they are committed, I pray that they would commit to unity, the spirit of unity. And Lord, right across our local church, I declare war on disunity. I declare war on anything that threatens and breaks down what you are building. I thank you, God, that nothing can stop a unified church. And I thank you that, God, you've got great plans for our local church. So, Lord, I pray today that each and every one of us would make a decision in which local house, which local church is our heart established and to be planted 
and to build relationships. Father, I pray for this now in your powerful name. And I pray too, God, for courage and grace to have conversations that need to iron out and clarify and reconcile. In your powerful name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.